to the sixth grade, make your way to junior church at this time. And everybody else, I want to thank you for your service, uh, your participation in this service so far, I should say. And we're coming to the end of our study in the book of Acts. And uh, you can take this for what it's worth. That means what I'm going to do today is do a bit of review. So 28 chapters is what we're going to cover today. And we're going to throw in a little bit of Matthew in there. And um, I've walked through this, and I think we can get it done in a timely manner. Having said that, just understand that all of these little points and key events we've talked about, I've preached a whole sermon on them or more. And uh, so it's going to take some restraint. So I'm going to pray in just a second. And you pray however God leads you, okay? If you want to pray that, you know, you don't, uh, you know, get last in line at the restaurant you're going to because pastor went so long, you can pray that way. If you want to pray that there are some wonderful lessons that are resurfaced from this time in our study, um, I would encourage you to pray that way. Either way, I'm going to ask you to right now bow your heads and bow your hearts with me, and we'll ask for God's clear involvement in our time. Gracious Father, would you allow us, as we join together today, to be unified in our hearts with those that we can join with. We praise you for that beautiful fellowship and the connections that you give us. Would you allow us to rejoice in what we have in the message of the grace of Jesus Christ, what that means for us, how it changes everything. And would you allow that to guide how we come to this time? And it'd be my request that the Holy Spirit would be clearly involved as we open your word now. Would you please allow us to learn from your word? I would ask that you would help me not to get in the way. And as we go through this review of what's been a couple years now of teaching, would you, Lord, encourage us and help it to be a, a spark for us to have such a, a confidence in your church and what you started and what you're continuing to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have different things that make up my day as I go and do my job in ministry. There are some things that I enjoy doing a lot. There are some things that are a little bit tougher. One of the important jobs that I get a chance to do every once in a while is to talk to other pastors, talk to other church leaders. Sometimes I'm asking them questions and trying to learn. Other times it's I'm on the receiving end and I'm listening or maybe giving some counsel. I had opportunity to talk to a church leader. He was a deacon in his church not too long ago. And this church, like just about all churches do, was going through a season of discouragement. It was a struggle at that point, and they were having some people that were bothered and having some problems. And so one individual came to this deacon in the church, and they were bothered, and they said, let me just ask you this question. What's the vision for our church? And very clearly, when he asks that question, he had something in mind, and he was feeling that it was not being accomplished. What's the vision in our church? And this deacon got put on the spot to give an answer to someone who was disgruntled a bit. And he gave the best response that he gave, and I thought it was a good one. He said, well, our, our, our vision hasn't changed any for, you know, decades. Our vision is to see souls come to Jesus Christ. That's what we want to see happen here. And as I listened to him and as I tried to encourage him because he needed it at that point, 
I thought to myself, I didn't say it out loud, but I thought to myself, okay, and how are you doing with that vision? How's it going when you talk about this is why your church is here? I want to go ahead and put a couple applications up on the screen, and these are going to be the two applications that I have narrowed down our study of the book of Acts to. If you're taking notes, you can take them down. Number one is all Christians need to be a part of strengthening a local church. Everyone who calls Jesus Christ their Savior needs to be part of strengthening a local church. And I'll go ahead and give you the second one. All Christians need to be a part of passing on the gospel message. These are two things that we must not get away from. And some people would say, well, yes, of course. But I want to suggest to you that the enemy that we have is so brilliant. The devil and what he does, and as long as he's been around, and as well as he knows mankind and you specifically, he knows exactly how to attack. When I come across the promise in God's word about the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, I rejoice in that. There's a popular song out right now, and there's a line in that song, the gates of hell will not prevail. And we would use that as one of our cries of victory because the devil will not prevail against God's church. Having said all of that, with this enemy that we have and this one who is never going to stop trying to make the church be ineffective, he's never going to stop his attacks. If he cannot have you and he cannot have your soul, if you are following Jesus Christ, then he wants you to make no difference in this world in the plan of God's church. You see, he does not want God's church to prevail, and he will not stop trying. And I th what I want to point out here, just as a jumping-off point for our review of the book of Acts, is that the best strategies, and this is my opinion, the best strategies that the devil uses to attack the church and the best strategies that our enemy uses to keep us off of these two main lessons that all Christians need to be a part of strengthening a church and that all Christians need to be a part of passing on the gospel message. The best strategy that the devil uses, this might surprise some of you, it's going to be the very truth that we find in God's word. With the episodes that we see the church go through from when it began up until today, and we have many of them recorded in God's word for us, what we see is God amazingly getting involved. I mean, I, I, I could preach for, for the longest time about the book of Acts and all these things. And we can remember in our study when there were times when it seemed like, oh boy, this is going to be the undoing of that church. Clearly, this, this is going to be a major problem, and God got involved, and God led either leaders or the members of that church to go and to, and to a, a, approach that problem and to conquer it. And we praise God for that. And I want to suggest to us that the devil can take, don't miss this, the devil can take every one of those, and he can make those some fuel for his accomplishments for what he wants to make, no matter what it is. 
whether it be when we see church leadership and how that was developed and the starting of deacons in the church. The devil can take that and he can twist that truth. Whether it be the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which was the most amazing blessing, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. The devil can take that wonderful truth and he can twist it to where we today can be fighting among ourselves. Application after application in the book of Acts, we wonderfully apply, and we need to be on guard that we keep it in the right aspect because the devil will take it and he will twist it. And he will take some of these things, and some might be more important to you than others, and he will use those to undermine these two that I have mentioned here, these two main lessons that we'll start with and we will come back to. Just for illustration's sake, when we look at the attacks of the devil and we go all the way back to the beginning and we think of Eve, what did the devil use as that main temptation? He started by talking about the words of who? God. Hath God said? Did God really say? And he gets into a conversation about the words of God and Adam and Eve fall, in, fall for temptation and they choose to sin. And the devil comes with the same approach to Jesus Christ when Christ had came and right before he starts his earthly ministry, the devil goes to Jesus Christ and he quotes scripture. He takes the Bible and he twists it. And of course, Jesus Christ would not fall for that. Hath God not said? And I would suggest to you that so many of the attacks of the devil and so many of the, if I, if I can use this word for you and I, so many of the distractions that's keeping us from doing what God would have us to do, would fall in some of these things where didn't God say? Didn't God work in this way? Isn't this something that God wants to be highlighted? And these would be distractions. All of that to bring us to our text. I'm going to ask you to turn to two places. Turn to Acts chapter 1 in your Bible and hold your place there. Acts chapter 1. Once you find that, then turn back to Matthew chapter 28. Acts chapter 1 and Matthew 28. Just to give us um, some very good review, we understand that the scriptures that we have are divided into two different sections. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. Of course, when we look at the New Testament, we understand these 27 books, Matthew through Revelation that we have, were written by eight individuals. In that New Testament, there are 21 letters, either to churches or else to persons. And then we find one book, that's the book of Revelation, that's the book of things yet to come in God's plan. The first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels. These are uh, the account of the life of Jesus Christ and what he did. And then, of course, the last book is the history book of the New Testament, the book of Acts, which describes how the church started, how God started it, and how the church grew. And the four Gospels all give us clearly the Great Commission. This is something that needs to be driving us as a church on a regular basis. We find that in Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to go ahead and uh, start at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee 
to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Acts tells us how the disciples obeyed the Lord in spreading the gospel and how the various churches began. Go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 1. And I want you to just be reminded of this. Without this history book of the New Testament, as the church got started, we would read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we would go right to Romans, and we would wonder how in the world this message of Jesus Christ got from Jerusalem to Rome. We would not know how that happened without the book of Acts. And so we receive this incredible truth that God's given us. We understand that Luke is the one that penned this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And you know he has someone that he's writing to. In this second book of his, he has someone that he's writing to. Look in Acts chapter 1. We'll read the first three verses. In, this first, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so here we find Luke continuing the story. He had already started to tell Theophilus about Jesus Christ and that he was God and that he died and he was raised from the dead and the wonderful truth of the gospel. Now he's continuing the story of Jesus. And we find him now writing after Jesus has ascended, ascended, and he writes the Acts of the Apostles. And let me read verse number 8 for us of Acts 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So if you want to break down, there's several ways we can break down the book of Acts. And just for review's sake, if you want to break it down by geography, Acts chapters 1 through 7 tells us what happened in Jerusalem. Pentecost came, the church started, and God does incredible things during that. It's such an exciting study in chapters 1 through 7 in Jerusalem. And then in chapters 8 through 12, we find out what happened in Judea and Samaria. And don't rush past this because this is a bitter pill for the Jews to swallow. That this message that had been exclusively for them for thousands of years is now going to go out to Samaritans. Some of you are familiar that the word Samaritan, it just tasted bad in the Jews' mouth, in the Jews' mouths. And then in chapters 13 through 28, we find out what happened in all the rest of the parts of the world. So Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then all the rest of the world. And this is a good pattern for us. I'm going to throw just a couple of applications while we do this review out there. And this is one right here. This is a good pattern for us. 
Because if we are being faithful to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, can I suggest to you it needs to start right at your home. Parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters are supposed to be an evangelist first to those who you connect with the, the, the most, in, in the most close way. You need to be an evangelist first to your child. And after that, you need to be an evangelist to your neighbors and those who you interact with. And then it moves to a bigger group, a broader group in some way of spreading the gospel. And then, of course, it moves on to the ends of the earth. This is a good pattern for us. The theme of the book of Acts is going to be the message of Jesus Christ. And when I say the message of Jesus Christ, let me just give us one tool to use. When you are, and I trust you'll have opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus, when you're talking to someone, don't just talk about Christmas and that's an easy one, right? We love Christmas, the baby. Everybody loves babies, right? Baby Jesus, you can't get any more perfect than that. Everybody loves that. So talk about God taking on flesh and the importance of that, that he was fully man and he was fully God. But do not skip Easter because we know that this man who came and proved that he was God, he died on a cross he was buried in a tomb, and he rose the third day. So the theme of the message of Jesus Christ is demonstrated in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Quickly, if you want to, take, if you want to divide the book in this way, you can divide it by key persons. There are two key people that we have talked about as we have studied this book. The first one in chapters 1 through 12 is Peter. Peter is primarily the apostle to the Jews, and God used him in incredible ways. And I know that many of you are incredibly blessed by the ministry of Peter because Peter was just quick to speak. Sometimes he would put his foot in his mouth. Sometimes he would take, um, you know, a sword and cut somebody's ear off. He just was quick like that. And some of you say, I like Peter because it makes you feel a little bit better about yourself, right? I understand that. I can relate to Peter. Some of you like Paul, the second main character is the apostle paul who was primarily the apostle to the gentiles and he was a jew and he always started with the jews he went to the temple but he would take the message mainly to the gentiles and so peter and paul are the main characters in the book of acts but we've seen around 80 different people that we have talked about in our study over the past couple years. Let me go ahead and talk for the next several moments about key events, and that's where we're going to jump from one to another. Some key events that we find in our study, I've already referenced it once. First of all, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and this is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Ten days after Jesus ascended, we find the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I reference this every once in a while, because when we look at Pentecost and how exciting it is, I will talk with a little bit of pessimism about something that Jesus said when he was with, when he was with his disciples. And if you've been around for the study, you've heard me say this multiple times. Have you ever had someone say something to you and you kind of nodded your head because you wanted to be polite, but you weren't quite sure that what they said was going to pan out, was going to work? I think that's how this message stuck with some of the apostles. When Jesus Christ said this, he said, I have to leave you. I have to go. I'm not going to be present with you anymore. And this is a good thing because something better is going to come. I think they heard that and they said, what in the world are you thinking about? You're going to be our, our head general, right, Jesus? 
You're going to lead us out of this horrible oppression that the Romans have us in. And Jesus Christ said, I'm going to go, but something better is going to come. And in case you are still doubting that, and in case you'd rather have Jesus in the flesh with you, let me just encourage you with this. What God said is truth. The coming of the Holy Spirit was God's perfect plan. And as I have already prayed that those who would come into this place that have the Holy Spirit present with them, those that are followers of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit would be teaching even a, a sermon that I have not even dreamed up. As the Holy Spirit serves, one of his roles is as our teacher. Jesus says, I'm going, something better is coming. The second event that we are going to focus on, I'm gonna give you just seven of these events, is the early days of the church. We find this in the end of chapter two. And we find right there in the end of chapter 2 these key objectives. Worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. We use these as our main objectives here at Calvary. Everything that we do should fall underneath one of these. Worship or instruction or fellowship or expression of God's love. And some will fall under more than one. And we see this all throughout the book of Acts when the churches are going. Number three, we find persecution of the church. This is in Acts 7 and 8. Of course, Stephen is the first martyr for the church of Jesus Christ. And we find not only is Stephen killed, but we find an intense persecution of the church resulting in, here it comes, are you ready? Don't miss this. An intense persecution of the church that resulted in an incredible intense spread of the gospel. That happened when the devil seemed like he was having incredible effect on, st on stifling the message of the gospel, it spread. It went to different countries. It went to individuals who would be saved and would go to a place and they would tell that message. And there was a point that we looked at where the persecution really slowed down. And it is not a coincidence that when that persecution slowed down, that the fuel that was being poured on the excitement of the church slowed down as well. That doesn't quite seem right, does it? As the persecution came, the excitement grew and the gospel spread. You know, I, it, I have mixed feelings how I approach some things in um, our day and in our country. And in this area here, I have said something. I'm going to say it right now. I didn't think too much about this before I, uh, you know, uh, decided to say it. So you forgive me if it's wrong, okay? You always do. When we think of persecution, and I've talked with Tina about this on a regular basis, we are in a place in America where there are some people who are wanting to oppress the church. They are wanting so badly to make worship and religion something that we do only within these walls and to where we cannot do it in the marketplace. I know I'm getting some of you riled up right now, right? I know it. I know some of you just, this is singing your song. And I've talked about this at length with different individuals and we've talked about the possibility in America of could it happen that we could lose our tax-exempt status? And could folks that would give a gift to the church lose their opportunity for that to be a tax write-off? And if our enemy could succeed in doing that, would that be just an incredible hampering of the effectiveness of the church? And my response that goes through the book of Acts is this. I think I actually said this out loud to Tina. I think I said, bring it on. 
if you want to see God's people rise up and give like they've never given before, if you want to see the church excited about what they have in the message of Jesus Christ, then go ahead and add that persecution. Now, I don't want the persecution, okay? I don't want our church to lose our tax-exempt status. But with the way that our country is going, I could see very easily how there are some laws that are made where we have to choose and the teachers will have to choose what they will say and what they will not say. And there may may be some consequences for that. I'm just going to share with you my heart. I don't fear that. And with some of these movies where we see individuals going to jail for their beliefs, I don't want either one of my kids to not have me there. I don't want my wife to not have me there. But I think that God uses persecution in an incredible way. In that song that we had earlier during the offering, blessings. What if they came through the trials of life? And I think God works that way. I told you I could preach a sermon on each one of these points here. Persecution of the church. Let's go on. Number four, we see some key conversions. Some key conversions that we focused on. In Acts chapters 9 and 10, we find the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. That's no surprise to anybody. We're going to talk about him again. Saul of Tarsus and what he did. But then if I'm going to narrow this down to just seven key events that we're going to look at, that we're going to highlight during this time, Cornelius? Really? Cornelius gets in there. Why in the world would he be one of the key conversions? Some of you are already there. It's because of that transition from this message being for the Jews and going to everybody else, including most likely all of us or most of us, the Gentiles. God's plan for the message to come to us would involve someone to receive this message that was not a Jew and did not have to become a Jew. And Cornelius was this Gentile who would be converted. Peter was on the scene here, and Peter was given that vision before he goes. And whether you know it or not, many of you, especially some of you guys, you are very thankful for this vision that Peter was given. Because we don't all have to become Jews. And that was a tough message for the guys to become a Jew at some point. And also in that vision that Peter was given, and all those foods were lowered down, And the Lord said, rise up and eat. And I'm going to tell you why some of you are thankful for this, because there was bacon right in there in that vision. And the reason you get to have bacon in your green beans, and you get to have bacon with your breakfast, and you get to have bacon wrapped around some shrimp and eat that, is because God said, as I move forward, this is not going to be a hindrance anymore. The main point of that is, is that we don't all have to become Jews. This gospel message is going to spread. But that was not easy for everyone. And that brings us to number five, the Jerusalem Council. People are getting saved left and right by the thousands. And they're not Jews. They're not becoming Jews. They're doing all kinds of things that would be offensive to the Jewish people. And so in Acts 15, we find that they had a big church meeting back in Jerusalem. And they answered this question, what do they have to do? Do they have to live a Jewish lifestyle? Do they have to practice the way we practice our life and faith? Or is it going to be by grace alone? And they come up with a wonderful decision for the Gentiles that allows the church to move forward. Number six, Paul's journeys. And we've really just finished this, chapters 13 through 21. 
we see Paul's journeys, and then right on the tail end of that, Paul's imprisonment and the defense of the gospel message, and that's in chapters 22 through 28. All right, we're almost done. We're going to look at just a couple more verses as we close our time here. Before we do that, if you're taking notes, let me give you uh, a $15 word, all right? The word is juxtaposition. These last few, go and turn to Acts 28. That's where we're going to be. Acts chapter 28. If you're writing that down, juxtaposition, J-U-X-T-A, position. That's how you spell that, juxtaposition. And what we're going to find here is a juxtaposition. And what a juxtaposition is, is this. It is the fact of two things being seen or placed close together with a contrasting effect. The fact of two things being placed close together, but they have a contrasting effect. That's the juxtaposition that we're going to see with the Apostle Paul here as we close the book of Acts. Look in verse number 30 with me. Remember, he's in jail at this time. He's under house arrest. He has some freedom. And in Acts chapter 28, verse 30, it says, He, of the Apostle Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Isn't that a great juxtaposition that we find there? We find the Apostle Paul in prison, and we find the gospel being proclaimed without hindrance. It's because nothing will stop the message of Jesus Christ. And even though he was chained to a soldier, and even though he was in prison, nothing would stop this And then it ends. It's kind of abrupt, isn't it? I mean, some of you are, you know, pretty talented when it comes to literature. You could probably write a better ending than that, do you think? It kind of ends abruptly. What happens here? We don't have a proper conclusion many people would think. And so let me just go ahead and give you from what we know of history and from some of the New Testament writings what we know happened to the Apostle Paul since so many of you have grown so close to him over the past several months and years. Let me first say that this is not the end of the Acts of the Apostles. When we find the title of the book, The Acts of the Apostles, we know the Apostle Paul went on to minister more. He would go on to write First and Second Timothy. He would write Titus. He might have been there at Timothy's um, service where he was put in as the pastor. The Apostle John would go on for another 30 years and then, of course, would write the book of Revelation. When we think of Paul and what happened to him, we don't find anything else here that Luke writes in the book of Acts. But as we look at Roman law and study that, we know that there was an 18-month limit that someone could be held without their trial coming. Of course, of course uh, Paul was a citizen of Rome. He was being held. And I think it was 18 months is what we see that he was under this house arrest and then he was let go. From Paul's future writings and also from tradition and history, we see that he was released about 63 AD where he would write those books and he was arrested again. He was arrested again by Nero. And this time when Paul was arrested, he would not have a nice private quarters. You see, Nero started a fire and he blamed the Christians if you're a student of history, you're familiar with this. 
He started that fire. It was a horrific thing, and he blamed the Christians, and I think that Paul got sucked right in to that persecution at that time. And it's likely that Paul went to the horrible Mamertine prison where around 67 or 68 A.D. Paul was beheaded. He could not be crucified like Peter because he was a Roman citizen, so he was beheaded. Man, some somber faces out there. This is the Apostle Paul. This is what he did. This is one of my heroes, maybe one of your heroes. He ends up dying in a dark prison, beheaded, killed in a horribly frightening way. From his writings, we see that many of his friends had turned on him. This is not what he had planned when he was planning out his IRA. This is not what he had in mind. He had something very different in mind, do you think? I don't think so. I think that he would do whatever God brought his way. And I want to just make this point. When he did lose his head, when he was beheaded, what an amazing welcome he must have received in heaven. When he was absent from the body and present with our Lord Jesus Christ, and the thousands upon thousands would turn, who have turned from darkness to light. What a wonderful reception he must have had. Now, let me give one illustration as we go, and I'm going to ask you to participate a little bit. I wonder if anybody here, how many of you, regarding your family tree, your ancestry, has anybody here been able to trace your family tree back farther than five generations? Would you raise your hand if you've traced it back? Keep them up. Farther than five generations back, you know the names of all that? Okay, okay. Anybody farther than ten generations back? Anybody? I'm looking. I don't see anybody. Okay, that's a tricky one. Ten generations back. When we think of this um, new um, uh, device, or not device, but this new um, tool that we have, Ancestry.com, and tracing back our ancestry and seeing maybe where we came from, that can be interesting. I've got four, or I've got three brothers. I'm waiting for one of them to pay for that and then just give me the results. That's what I want for them to do. But can I suggest this? Can I suggest when we think of our ancestry and we think of our Christian ancestry, how far can you trace that back? Can you trace it back to the person who presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to you? And can you trace it back to the person who presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to that person? And so on, and so on. I just about made a phone call this week to see if I could go even farther back. I got back four generations. I was raised in a Christian home. My dad, Jerry, Lazell, um, he made sure that we were presented with the gospel and I received Jesus Christ in my youth. And my dad, Jerry Lazell, was led to Jesus Christ by his brother, Jack Lazell, in a smoke-filled bowling alley. And my Uncle Jack was led to Jesus Christ by a pastor named Pastor Gritton who preached at my uncle's funeral. And he preached a hellfire and brimstone sermon, I'll tell you, at my uncle's funeral. And I'm not sure who led Pastor Gary Gritton to Jesus Christ. But I think when you look at your own life, I want you to be thankful for those who are behind you. But I also want you to thank in advance for those who God is going to bring your way. By way of application, I've said two things. All Christians need to be part of strengthening a local church 
and all Christians need to be part of passing on the gospel message. Okay, specifically, what can you do? Here's the what can you do part of our message. Number one, allow yourself to be folded in to what God is doing in a local church. Okay? It means you don't have to be the leader. It means you don't have to be the guy cleaning the bathrooms. It means you don't have to be something specific. Because in God's plan of his church, there are all kinds of different roles, all kinds of different things that you can do. They all lead us to these two main points, these two main objectives. But allow yourself to be folded into what God is doing. Because brother and sister in Christ, let me tell you something. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And so for you to choose to be here today is just stressing your confidence in God's plan for the church. Don't think that I am not aware of the hurt that comes along with Christians and good people and churches, but none of that undoes God's plan and the fact that he wants you to be folded into a local church in some way. And some would say, I don't know what in the world I could do. And I would suggest to you, God does. Just jump in. Start doing something. Start getting busy. God wants you to be a part of that local church body. So allow yourself to be folded into what God is doing in a local church. And then finally, develop a burden for others to know Christ. And I could, you know, I mean, this is evangelism, right? Expression of God's love to both those near and far. We need to develop a burden for others to know Jesus Christ. And I chose to phrase this in the way develop a burden because I think a lot of us have the tools. I think a lot of us might have the Romans road memorized. You might have a gospel track that's available and you can give out. I think a lot of you have access to people who need Jesus Christ and they're even open to talking about Jesus Christ. But I want to pray for us as a church to develop a burden. This is what's going to pour fuel on our fire in what God is doing here. Colossians 4.3 and 2 Kings 6.17 are two verses that I point out with this. Colossians 4.3, pray that God will open to us a door for the word. I have asked others to pray this for me. People that, here's the ones that I asked to pray. The ones that have a burden for souls. The ones that see people saved, I say, you pray for me that a door would open to present the message of Jesus Christ. And then I don't think I'm taking Second Kings out of context here when we find Elisha and he's with his servant and his servant can't see the power of God. And Elisha prays at that point when the enemy surrounds them and he thought they were going to die, the servant did. Elisha prays, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And can I just apply that to us with this? That God would open the doors and that God would open our eyes. Pray that God will open our eyes to the souls that are around us. And not just that they'll get saved, but that they will get folded in to what's going on in a local church. And if I wanted to get the amen crowd going this morning, I'm just going to share with you, I talked to somebody right before church and they said somebody else came into the family of God this week. And they shared with me their name. This is one of those persons who has a burden for souls to get saved. I know some of you would say, man, I never have opportunity to share Jesus Christ. We find a principle in the scriptures that he who has friends must show himself to be friendly. Can I go ahead, and you can accuse me of preaching out of context if you want here, 
but can I suggest to you that he who will be able to talk to people about Jesus Christ, you've got to show yourself to be friendly. Maybe you're an introvert. I know you can't totally undo that, but you need to get to a place where you're understanding that God left you here with this great commission. First to the people in your home, then to the people around you. Open this up. And what this is, I mentioned earlier, what you're doing with the church is you're, you're saying, I agree with what God has said in his plan of the church. And what you're doing when you're praying for God to open a door and for God to give you boldness, what you're doing is you're having confidence that what God has done is he has gone to an individual and he's been preparing them through something that happened last week and last year, through their history, through their family um, setting through their job, that God is doing all of this, maybe thousands of different things in an individual's life to bring them to the point where you can say, hey, I go to church, and at my church we talk about Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ? An opportunity for you to talk with them, and you're having confidence that God's plan for the gospel involves you. And nothing pours fuel on my fire more than somebody coming to me and saying, somebody got saved this past week. Here's their name. Please pray for them. But to complete it, to complete the book of Acts, we've got to have the church. And so I know you can't talk some people into it. Some people just have, I mean, church is a four-letter word to them. They've had a bad experience or they've been brainwashed to the opposite, you know, where they think it's a bad thing. Let me encourage you. This is the story of the book of Acts. This is what God wants to use for today and for tomorrow and until Jesus Christ comes back. Have confidence in God and what he's doing and what he's going to do through a local church and through you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we look to you with confidence that you cannot lie We praise you for the simple truth that you have given us this book. You have given us the story of the church. You've continued it till today, and you're going to keep it going. And God, can I go ahead, and I'm sure many would amen this along with me, Father, to your ears. We thank you for the local church. We thank you for the friends and relationships that we can develop. We thank you that we can have an impact in giving the gospel out here in Lapeer and on the other side of the world. We thank you for people able to use their gifts and what they do to minister to others, to serve others, to teach others. This beautiful plan of what you have given and we thank you for the history book of the New Testament. We thank you for what you did and how exciting to go through all of these. And God, I would pray that you would guard us from taking something that was a wonderful account in your book, in the history of the church, or even in the history of this church, and using it for something to undermine what our main priorities would be. Would you allow us to understand the attacker, the devil who stands, who wants to prevail, and the many tools that he has, and would you allow us to be taking in your word Would you allow us, Lord, to be walking with eyes that would see a world around us that needs you? And would you allow us to be thankful for your grace? God, you are so good. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. Maybe you're here today and you've missed a lot of this. A lot of this talk about the book of Acts. The wonderful story of Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit came. And how we celebrate that today when he resides within those who follow Jesus Christ. 
maybe you're here today and you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say a follower of Jesus or your idea of a Christian is um, the idea of an American Christian. You know, you're, you're an American, so you must be a Christian by default. Nobody's a Christian by default. Maybe you're here today and you need to start following him. Maybe you need to ask God for forgiveness of your sins. Ask Jesus to come into your life. I'm gonna take just a moment of silence before we sing one closing song and let you pray. Whatever God's laid on your heart, I'm gonna let you pray to him right now.